1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome to Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, do I got my buddy Kyle Clement on? Is Kyle on, Mr. Engineer? Not yet. Yeah, hey, I'm well, on. Uh, I'm on, Jesse. Oh, uh, awesome. Praise God. Uh, today's Ask Wednesday. Today's also the St. Valentine's Day. A lot of stuff going on in the Catholic Church. Uh, very and, and also today's, uh, this is the month of uh, February. dedicated to the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So this is there's a lot happening for us as Catholics, uh, Kyle. I want to just get real quick up uh, because I, I do want to get into a specific topic with you today, but I can't uh, bypass uh, your 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 uh, your deep understanding, Reclamation theology, bringing us back to tradition. Tell us about a little bit of the tradition of Ash Wednesday today, before we go on to our actual topic uh, on the next segment. Uh, share with us Reclamation Theology's view on Ash Wednesday and what we need to do. Thank you so much, Jesse. It's a great topic, and it's something that we've lost. And so I think to, to look at where we are, um, we're just coming to the end of uh, Shrove Tide, which came to the end of the Jesama Sundays. So traditionally, what would happen is um, there were three Sundays, the Jesima Sundays, which started us the transition. We had got three weeks to transition from feast to fast, from um, being very festive to now being more penitential. And so to take reference, to take recollection of our life, of where we are in, in our journey through this Haklak Remarum Ballet, through this Valley of Tears. And then Shrove Tide started on Sunday. It was Sunday, Monday, and it ended yesterday. And so traditionally, someone would have gone to uh, confession so that today, when they presented themselves in a hard fast to receive the ashes, they were into the penitential mode. They were already now starting this 40 days of this Lenten um, observance of, of penitential practices. And one would be given over on this day to contemplation of the four last things, um, uh, because we're going to hear, remember, man, that you are dust. And so today would be given over to the contemplation of the four last things, and then to prepare ourselves over these uh, this period of time. Um, for death, not that it's a morose thing, but but uh, death, as St. Paul says, and, and uh, you know, death, where is your sting? If a man's ready to go, if, it, if he's got his train ticket and he's standing there at the station, uh, he's packed and ready to go, um, then the trip holds no um, trepidation. It holds no fear. And so ultimately, this is where we were in Reclamation Theology. Beautiful, beautiful. Also, today's Ash, uh, I mean, uh, today's Valentine's Day. And uh, most people don't realize that 
today was taken as a result of a brave Catholic priest, a Catholic martyr back in the early church. Uh, He lived in the third century. Valentine was one of those early Christians who lived in Rome during the third century. Christianity was illegal then, and Rome was ruled by the emperor Claudius. Claudius wanted to extend the Roman Empire and formed a large army to conquer other lands and people. He expected men to volunteer to join, but many did not want to fight in wars, not wanting to have their wives and children. Uh, This made Claudius furious. He reasoned that if men were not married, they would not mind joining the army. Claudius decided not to allow any more marriages. Young people thought his new law was cruel. Uh, Valentine was a Catholic priest, and as such, he performed marriages. After Emperor Claudius passed his law outlawing marriages, Valentine continued to perform marriage ceremonies, but but now in secret. One night, Valentine was caught, thrown in jail, and sentenced to die. Many young people came to jail to visit him and, uh, and, and threw flowers and notes up to his window. One of these was the daughter of the prison guard who allowed his daughter to sit and visit with Valentine. This is not a fairy tale, and things did not hap- uh, end happily ever after. On the day Valentine died, February 14th, he left a note for the young women, and he signed it. Love from your Valentine. They were not a couple in love in a romantic way. Father Valentine loved the young woman for her friendship. She loved him for his commitment to his faith, and legend has it that she and her family became Christians. So the first Valentine was from a man who died for his love, but not his love of a woman, rather his love of Christ. Hmm. Anything else you want to add about, uh, you want to add there, uh, Kyle, on, on Valentine's? No, that was, reminder? that was a wonderful, that was a wonderful piece there, Jesse. I think it really captures what was going on. Conscription at that time, um, Claudius was particularly ruthless, and he would bring a man, take a man out of his home with small children and conscript him into the army. And his only way uh, he could buy his way, he could buy his freedom. But so for the most part, the working classes and the poor classes, um, the legions would march through and, and take these men out of their homes. And um, it was uh the only thing was to prove that they were validly married. That was their only hope to get released. And so Valentine was, um, he was, he was very much a, um, a cult figure, a very popular figure, obviously by your story, you know, young people came to visit him in prison. Um, and so it's interesting that much like modern times, uh, anytime someone gets a popular following, the government wants to crush that. Yeah, um, Saint uh, Saint Valentine, pray for us, <clears throat> Carl. I want to talk about a topic that uh, is probably not broached very often. And I was having a conversation. I've had a conversation the last couple of weeks with several people, and so I said, you know, this would be something good to talk to Carl about because I'm sure he's uh, dealt with this before. So let me tell you, let me lay out the scenario here: a person, a spouse. Uh, you know, ends up living a wretched life and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And uh, they not only get diabolically afflicted, but they get possessed, which is certified by the diocesan exorcist and the bishop. So now the person, the spouse, obviously uh, they, uh, 
is 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 a witness to all the deliverance uh, sessions, all the minor exorcisms, up until the solemn sessions. The spouse is there at all the dozen or so solemn sessions, what we would call phase four. Now, the spouse who was possessed has been totally liberated and totally living a holy and pious and devoted faith life. But the spouse who witnessed the many sessions of exorcism, I mean, they, they've probably seen the wife, uh, you know, the, the, the spouse doing things that they never imagined, uh, you know, with, with all the diabolic manifestations. So the spouse uh, that, that witnessed the many sessions oftentimes are negatively effective and there seems to be a barrier between them. It's like uh, it's like the spouse looks at his wife with contempt and derision now and fear that she may even get repossessed and that the demon may manifest again. And in fact, uh, the spouse says that uh, the husband will, won't even pray with her. You know, he just he has his own prayer life. He has his own sacramental life. But it's just just apart from the spouse. Like they don't want it. He doesn't want to join with her uh, as if who knows, maybe he thinks she's going to get repossessed again. So the question is, I mean, this is kind of a type of a PTSD for the, for the surviving spouse because the spouse that was possessed says, I don't remember virtually anything, maybe about five or 10%. I remember, you know, very, very, very little, but I don't, I don't recall any of the sessions, but my, my husband knows everything. It's in living color. And, uh, and he's been, he, he, he's been very negatively impacted. Although he continues to practice his faith and we go to mass but just between us, there's no, there's no time of praying together. There's no, he goes, even our, the, the intimacy, uh, there's a, there's just a lot of, there's been like a wall after I was liberated from, from possession. There's been a wall between me and my spouse. And so the question is, how does a couple handle this situation? Uh, is there anything that a couple that's been through this, you know, the husband being the witness of the many uh, chapter four, uh, you know, phase fours, uh, you know, uh, solemn sessions done over the wife. What can they learn and practice maybe from from the liberal crystal method perspective to bring healing and harmony back to the marriage to this type of PTSD that 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 the husband suffers from? Uh I know it's it's kind of a big question, but we'll take the rest of the show to answer it. Because uh, I'm sure you've seen this before, where after the person it, it's been successful, thanks be to God, and and the and the person that's possessed, after you know several sessions, a person and, and and they've they've uh, conformed their life to the protocol, and they've 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 conformed their interior life back to prayer and the sacraments, but the 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 spouse who witnessed all the sessions and saw some ungodly things, as you well know, Kyle, some of the things that happened in manifestation. I mean, just, you know, the voices, the screaming, the blasphemy, the, you know, slithering like a snake, barking like a dog, uh, you know, having hidden knowledge, speaking and, you know, person's voice changing. All those things witnessed by the surviving spouse seems to have affected this person so I want to get your take. I want to start a conversation on the next segment. Uh, how do we bring healing and harmony to this type of trauma by the surviving spouse? We'll be right back. Wednesday War College. Stick around.
Wednesday War College, happy Holy Ash Wednesday, happy Valentine's Day, and remember the month of February is dedicated to the Holy Family of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Kyle, uh, let's kind of, I'd like you to unpeel this, uh, this enigma that you've probably seen many times where the, their, a spouse has this uh, emotional trauma, this type of PTSD, after having witnessed a solemn session over his spouse, the other spouse that was possessed, now liberated, now living a holy, pious, Catholic life. But in this instance, the husband seems to be distant. There's a wall between them. It's been like that for years. Uh, the person is just, uh, there's just a lack of even emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy uh, as, a, as a result of probably the husband having some type of emotional, mental roadblock. How does, uh, is there any method that you and Father Ripperger and Liber Crystal teaches on how to start bringing harmony back to that relationship? Yes, there is, Jesse, and you're right. I, it is a deep and it's a, it's a complex um, situation. It's not beyond addressable, but you're precisely right. It's a matter of peeling uh, the onion, if you will. And, and it's a matter of walking around and getting a complete perspective of what's going on. Um, and so we'll come at it in many different directions. And hopefully by the end of the program, we'll have a, a complete understanding of, of not only what's happening, but why it's happening. And most importantly, how to address it going forward. So Got it. when we develop, when we were developing the four phase protocol, there were a great number of instances of it, just exactly what you're describing. Um, and we've also had instances where a spouse was going through solemn session and the other spouse was um, not aware of any of the manifestations or anything that was going on in session because they weren't there. And so that's, you got both ends of the spectrum, but okay. what we, um, what we instituted was, that every member of the household becomes um, operative in phase one. So the phase one prayers, everybody in the household is doing that. Um, and everybody in the household is included uh, all the way through uh, phase four. Now, when I say included, the spouse is present in phase four, not the children and, and others, but the, the spouse is involved in phase one all the way through because what happens is what you see in phase one is there are reactions to particular um, images, particular prayers, particular days of the week. And so the spouse begins to see these things before their full-blown manifestation. Uh, the manifestations that you see in the preternatural signs that you see in, in phase four or a later development. They don't just start um, that way. They, they come on um, almost like symptomology in a disease. And so to see them in their earlier form, see the religious context, see what's going on helps. It, it helps them to see that this is a progression. It's not, um, and, and it's in the diabolical is is responding to um the religious stimuli it's the understanding too there's quite a bit of education that goes on in phases one two and three that um 
that manifestation is not the choice of the demon. He's being forced to do this um, through the application of holy things, sacramentals, prayers, prayers of the exorcist, uh, devotions, etc. And so um, it's not the demon's choice. He would like for you to think so. But um, every manifestation, every preternatural sign gives you an indication of, of who the demon is and how he got there. So that's the first perspective point that I would like to, to put forward is now included is the participation so that they come to a gradual knowledge of what's going on and how it's going on rather than being exposed to it in its um, in the fullness of a phase four. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Kyle, let me ask you a question. So all manifestations obviously are allowed by God uh, and uh uh, so it's not like it wouldn't it wouldn't be like the demon is trying to intimidate or uh, or just torment the person. Uh, the manifestation is something that just clear, just entirely allowed by God to reveal something to the person, maybe even something to the priest. Uh, would that be the case? Yeah, and to all present. So, for instance, let's say you've been in enough of these sessions to know that we're going down through the litany. And um, it is today, and the priest adds St. Valentine, and there is a loud blood-curdling scream and a slight levitation. What does that tell you? That tells me that uh, it, uh, it checks off at least some of the marks of, of, uh, of possession based on St. Charles Borromeo's 1614 uh, uh, you know, right of exorcism and what and and the four things that he talked about. Right, but the demon did not react. The person, there was no reaction to the other forty-seven names in the litany of the saints. But today, it's Saint uh, Valentine's Day, and so on this day, the priest adds Saint Valentine, and there is a reaction. What does that tell you? There, maybe uh, the demon that's afflicting him, or the sin. Uh, that, that caused the possession has something to do with some type of disordered love. Well, precisely. And that St. Valentine is some type of antithesis. He is, uh, he has, um, this demon has a reaction to St. Valentine to this day, to that particular sin. That's the religious context that we're talking about. And so the demon doesn't want you to know that, but he gives that up because he reacts. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Yep. And so these are the things that, that you're learning. Now, what else did, you know, there was, uh, um, what else would, would we might be able to extrapolate is um, true love pure love, the love of spouses, the, the spousal union, all of those things you just you start probing there or the exorcist would start probing. And this is what happens in phase two is we identify the impediments to grace. We identify what exactly is happening that is uh, precipitating the reaction. And so when you apply it, this husband said for better or for worse. Uh, do they have children? Was he there? Did he did he um, comfort his wife when she had morning sickness during pregnancy? Did he change diapers? Did he, you know, was he a hundred percent participatory 
because he's seen and spouses see each other in the worst possible condition. We see each other sick. We see each other emotionally um, hurt because of, of death of loved ones, various things. This is the better or worse. And so what you're getting uh, essentially, and I'm skipping way ahead, but at the core of this is going to be um, an issue within the marriage, an issue the husband has within the marriage. Um, you and I are both married. We've had wives who have given childbirth. We have, seen, we have been in the, the delivery room. You will see a side of your wife in the delivery room that you don't see at supper. Yeah. <laughs> Correct. Yep. And and so the the point being is for better or worse literally means just that. And the other good point to realize is that whenever there's a manifestation at for instance St. Valentine, if the demon manifests at St. Valentine, um that's something that's going to to help get him out to to uh, complete the separation between the possessed person uh, and the and the possessing or afflicting demon. And so this is good news. Um, all manifestation is a result of metanoia. It's a result of there's now no, there's not a psychological compatibility between the human and the demon. There's separation there um, because the demon can't hide in that sin, if you will. So that's another point is as you come to a knowledge of this um, organically and it presents itself, it starts to make uh, some sense. Now let's take a third point. Uh, let, me, let me just um, ask you a question. Continue. Let me ask you. Let me ask sure. you so, so Kyle, so diabolic manifestation, it, it occurs, and this is what I'm hearing you saying, it occurs when one's will is in conflict with the demons, right? But when your will is correct. aligned with that's the demon, correct. when your will is aligned with the demon, that's, uh, you know, if if your will is aligned with that of a demon, uh, then there's not going to be any diabolic manifestation. It's only when the will is in conflict. There's a metanoia. There's there's this movement towards God. When 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 that's happening, then that's when a diabolical manifestation can and will occur. Correct. That's precisely right. Go ahead. Very important. Very important piece of information, and and so. I, I think, you know, Father talks about this some um, as well is, is there are a lot of possessions that never come to our attention because they're uncontested possessions. Um, there's, there's, they're not a, the, the person doesn't want free, they're get, there's an exchange. There's, uh, they've made a piece, if you will, with the, with the possession, they're getting something in return. Now that's in a voluntary classic possession. There's uh, those are not contested quite often. In a contested possession, typically what happens is the person goes through a deeper conversion. Um, they may um, be having an interior spiritual movement, and now they're no longer psychologically compatible with a demon. That's one scenario. Another scenario is that um, because of various curses there can be a conscripted demon there not in a classic possessing sense but when this person starts to live a holy and catholic life now that demon is uh abraded and agitated 
and the affliction begins. Um, and so it's, it's like a domestic violence situation. As long as the subjected, subjugated person is doing what the dominating person is, or abuser is demanding, then there's no abuse. But at the moment that um, they start to want to get separation or they don't want to be subjected into amoral behavior that's demanded by the abuser, now the physical abuse starts. Mm, got it. Got it. So, uh, uh, yeah, you've mentioned that term. You've been using it for a long time. So just define it for the audience. Uh, uncontested possession. I, I, I know what you mean, but I'd like you to just simplify it for the audience. Maybe contested possession and uncontested possession. Uh, hold that thought. Okay, hear, so- hear the music. Hear the music. Yeah. Uh, the next segment, uh, that would be a good way to start. Lead in with uh, defining possession in terms of contested and uncontested you're listening to wednesday war college we're talking how to bring healing and harmony back to somebody who's witnessed his wife his spouse uh, go through solemn sessions we'll be right back that are diabolically possessed and uh, they just seem to live with it. And, and I can tell you, I've talked to a lot of men throughout the years that they have all the characteristics and they tell me uh, they have all the characteristics that St. Charles Borromeo talks about, about demonic possession. And uh, they just live tormented, tortured lives. They don't have the willpower to return to mass, the sacraments and prayer they just uh, they just walk around like the walking wounded, you know, uh, carrying a demon with them, uh, you know, having a having a clinging spirit following them everywhere, but they just don't have the willpower or the humility or or the or just the uh, the depth of understanding that they need help from the church. And I think a lot of men will end up going to their grave uh, just uh, possessed. Uh, uncontested possessions they just they just have a way of uh, just uh, you know establishing a relationship or as you say having psychological compatibility with the demon until they drop dead and uh, it seems to me like women are the ones that are saying no no get this thing away from me or as you know they say you know in, in wrestling get off me it's like women they're the ones that contest possession much more than men I don't know why that is but uh, but but give us a definition of contested and uncontested possession. So it's a good point, Jesse, and and, general, and, and I agree with you uh, in the generalization. So this uncontested language I'm about to give you applies to oppression, obsession, and possession. And so the uncontested is you just described it in the man. Um, some men are oppressed. Some are obsessed, some are possessed, but the the key, uh, the common point is it's uncontested, meaning they have built a uh, sustainable level of misery, if you will. Um, and 
there is psychological compatibility with the demon. They either don't reserve, uh, they don't deserve uh, redemption or they don't deserve mercy, whatever it may be. There can be multiple things, but each one of them is going to be traceable to a defect in virtue. And that's the point that I want to make is there's going to be a defect in virtue. There's going to be a lack or a privation of a particular virtue and its daughter virtues within a specific area that allows for the psychological compatibility. That's the dialogue between the demon and the human. Um, and so that's a very, that's a very important concept. But the uncontested one is there, there's not a desire strong enough to achieve perfection. Um, there's not the desire to do whatever is necessary to perfect their role in the vocation. And that's what's happening in the subject case that you're talking about. Um, when a man is praying alone and, and not engaging in his wife, then he's denying an aspect of the one flesh union. And so there's going to be a lack of virtue. This brings us right back to the uh, PTSD, um, and, and I'll give you some general, just some general observations on PTSD. So PTSD is a psychological distancing or a post-traumatic stress syndrome, meaning you parse it out, post-traumatic, it, it's after the trauma, there is a stress um, response and um, then the syndrome is a meaning what is done. Often what happens is in response to this is a disassociation or a distancing, a vacancy, a vegging out in front of the TV or a sitting in the bar staring in a beer glass for four hours. These are dissociative. Um, they're not recognized as such, but they're forms of dissociative behavior to distance, distance themselves from whatever the stimuli is that causes the stress or the anxiety. If you continue to parse that out, here's what we have found is there is a difference between trauma and violence. Hmm. Now, this is not the secular way the secular terms are used, but for the Libra Cristo methodology and in dealing with not only possessed oppressed, obsessed, possessed people, but also their family members and the individuals and concentric circles out from them relationally, here's some, some principles, um, is to understand there's a difference between trauma and violence. Violence is the universal concept that the corpus, the body, including the, psycho the psychology, has been violated. The integrity has been compromised. Trauma is the lasting effect, either a physical scar, a mental scar, a psychological scar, an artifact. It is the lasting effect of the violence. One, violence is objective. Trauma is subjective. Very important distinction. So in the objective sense of violence, let's look at our Lord's passion on Good Friday. No one would argue that what happened to him was not violent. It absolutely was violent. His scourging, the crucifixion, all of those things that happened to him leading up to his death on Good Friday. So, Jesse, I'll ask you, <clears throat> 
it was violent. Was our Lord traumatized? And the definition of trauma is a lasting psychological and or physical effect. Was he traumatized? I would, I'm going to guess. I would say no. And the reason I would say no is because he didn't suffer from concupiscence. He had perfect control of his faculties. They were perfectly ordered. The higher faculties with the lower faculties. Uh, I would say no. I may be wrong, but I'm just, I took a stab at it. No, you're hitting all the high points and you're exactly right. So here's a couple of things to evidence um, what we're talking about. No, no sacred art, no depiction, no historical account of him in the resurrected form shows any wounds of the scourging, only the five holy wounds of the sacrifice, mm. even the crown of thorns. Those wounds are not depicted. Mm. That's right. That's right. So I, only the wounds of the sacrifice. Okay. Now, now, now you open up another uh, question for me. Why is that? Why only are those five sacred wounds depicted and not the scourging, the crowning with thorns? I never thought about that. Because the wounds of the sacrifice, the perfection of the sacrifice, those five wounds, including the piercing of the side, that was his father's will. It was man's will that he was scourged. We visited those sins upon his flesh. Okay. But why are the five wounds then so, forever, forever made present in his glorified body? Because those bear testimony to him doing his father's will even unto death. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and so those are, those are the mark of the wedding ring on our finger. Mm. The, one way to think of it. But those are the, we bear within our body um, the marks of our sins. And so he bears within his body the, the marks of sacrifice. And those are the five holy wounds, the five sacred wounds. The other test of, of PTSD or uh, trauma is telling the story. Not once does Christ, the resurrected Christ, mention the passion. That's right. And he walked the earth for 40 days after. And he never he didn't go from one town to another and say, hey, this is what happened to me for several hours. What is the last and what is the last word he says um, in his human form and the first words that he says in his resurrected form are the words of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then in the upper room, peace be with you. So he's telling, way, he's telling them. He's telling them. Yeah, go ahead. He's telling them there's, I hold nothing against you. He's telling the apostles. He does not say, where were you guys? He doesn't say that. He says, peace mm -hmm. be with you. If, mm -hmm. if I'm the apostle, one of the apostles besides John, the last thing he sees is my back and my elbows running as fast as I can away from the Cal uh, from Calvary. I'm going to be afraid. He's going to look me and pierce me in the eye with his eyes and say, where were you? Hmm. Hmm. He doesn't say that. He says, peace be with you. Amen. 
So there's well, no trauma there. Yes. Yeah. Makes. Yeah. Of course. May, totally under. Totally get that. Totally understand. Uh, but you said once again because somebody just texted me. So the marks around his forehead, the, the slashes on his back, the with the cat of nine tails, uh, the piercing of the side, those. We don't see those in pictures of the glorified Christ or even saints that have seen Jesus. We only see the five, the, the five wounds. Uh, why is that again? Why is it that we don't see the scourging so, and the chronic with thorns? You so we do. So we do see the piercing on the side. Okay, we do see that. That's right. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So your five sacred wounds are where he was nailed to the cross and his side was pierced. Okay. So the side being pierced. The, the side being pierced is very simply Eve came forward from the side of, of Adam. The church comes forward from the side of Christ with the blood and water which gush forth from his sacred heart. And so that's the, the piercing of his heart that releases that the, the divine mercy, all the mercy. And so God so deigned that he be nailed to the cross, that he be crucified. That's within God's direct providence. The scourging was that that was extra, <laughs> if you will. It was it was what man visited upon him, um, and the fathers have always said that the scourging represents our sins of impurity, and the crown of thorns re represent our sins of the intellect, our misuse of our intellect. Wow! Hold on, thought. Hold that. Hold that thought, Kyle. We'll be right back. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Carla Clement. What a deep thought before you ended the last segment. You talked about that uh, the tradition of the church, the fathers of the church talk about the, the crown of thorns on our Lord that causes suffering. Uh, it represents our sins of the intellect or, and, and makes atonement for the sins of the intellect. And then you also said that uh, the scourging at the pillar, the cat of nine tails, that uh, represents and also makes atonement for the sins of the flesh, i.e. the sixth and ninth commandment. That's deep, deep theology. Kyle, you got some things coming up before we continue talking about uh, uh, all things spiritual warfare. What do you got coming up and how can people get a hold of you? Is Kyle there? Kyle, are you there? Okay. I don't hear Kyle, so we'll just, uh, we're talking, to, yeah. I'm talking to Kyle here when we're talking about um, can, you hear me? can you hear me now Jess I can hear you now yep Hello? I can hear you. yes I can. all right so I'll sit I'll sit still <laughs> okay um that, thank you I uh yeah www.monte m-o-n-t-e cristo c-h-r-i-s-t-o dot net and uh the first thing I wanted to to talk about is uh we've got uh, some appearances with Father Ripperger so um, this, uh, we're Father and I are at Our Lady of the Lake in Mandeville, Louisiana, uh, this weekend. It is sold out, but there is another opportunity to see um, all of us: Father Ripperger, myself, Jesse, Dan, 
Uh, we were all in Tyler together on March the 1st and 2nd at the Light in the Darkness conference. And there are a few tickets still available for that event. Uh, Light in the Darkness conference, uh, St. Seraphon's Outreach. Um, and so you can Google that and find that um, conference. And so Jesse's going to be at that one. Uh, looking forward to that. And there is a, a few places left if you want to do something for your priest is send him to the priest only retreat with Father Ripperger at the uh, Our Lady of Hope Retreat Center in Chattawa, Mississippi. That's February 27th to March 1st. And I'll be there with Father doing that priest only retreat. Also at that same retreat center, uh, I'm doing a singles and couples Linton retreat March 8th through the 10th. And that's a reclamation theology retreat. That information's at Monte Cristo. Um, of course, we've got the uh, VMPR conference, which is is sold out. But I think there's a live stream option uh, for that. And then there are some book studies and some other things available on that Monte Cristo website. So, and there's some brand new talks that will be up. Uh, Father Ripperger has done some talks. We're editing now. There's some brand new talks that'll be up. Uh, in about oh two to three weeks, but uh, that's what we got, Jesse. Awesome, good stuff, Kyle. You know, God is so good because n- not often, but th- but every now and then, uh, demons will manifest. As, as you well know, there there are sometimes violent manifestations. But when you talk to the people that have been to solemn sessions. Uh, you know, weeks, months, years later, they'll say, I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything I, I heard I was doing. You know, this happened, this happened, this happened. I don't remember anything. It seems to me like if God gives the possessed person, once they really engage with an act of their will and they fully enter into the battle for their soul, once they do that, it seems like if God gives them the grace of forgetfulness because they don't remember really 99% of what happened during a solemn session or a minor exorcism. But, but again, going back, the, the spouse that witnessed the minor exorcisms or the solemn rite, they, uh, some of them are affected. Not all of them. Not all of them. Some of them are affected. But go ahead, Kyle. You know, you're precisely right, Jesse. And, and what is key there is, you're talking about purification of memories in the correct sense. It's purified by grace and thanksgiving. And so what prevents purification of memories is a feature of trauma, and that is resentment or personalizing what happened. Christ knew that it was not, again, he was perfect in all things. The Blessed Mother wasn't traumatized by Good Friday. She knew it wasn't about her. It wasn't personalized. There wasn't a resentment. There was a love. There was a thanksgiving. There was a desire for the salvation of all souls. And so this is a feature of trauma that keeps it uh, the victim mentality, the people who are making it personal. This is one of the reasons there's such a high incident of P- you can track PTSD in, in wars and armed conflicts. You can track it. It's been on a steady increase since World War II. Every single conflict, we treat more and more veterans. And the reason being is there is a declining virtue coefficient in society. Mm. Everybody takes everything personal. Mm. It's like you've always, I've heard you say before, 
you say people that get you know this this inordinate anger it's because they think too much of themselves <laughs> i remember when i heard you say that the first time yeah. i was laughing i said that's right that makes sense yeah people that that inordinate anger comes <laughs> from a person they think too much of themselves it just made complete sense when i heard you say that the first time well, I, you know, sadly, it's a universal principle. But in the in the present case, in the present case, I would highly encourage this couple to buy the Libra Cristo Field Manual and go through it uh, because they did not do a phase two. If they go through it, what they're going to find and go through it together is they're going to find the impediments to grace. They're going to find the defects in virtue that allow this man to fully um, embrace what God has done without resentment, without fear, without any of those things, is to fully embrace it. Um, if, If I fixate on the pain that my wife experienced in childbirth and transfer that to a resentment of the child, then I am very much impeding the flow of grace. God visited their family with the phenomenal um, occurrence of diabolical affliction so that his power could be manifest there. Um, And so for there to be fear, for there to be resentment, for any kind of hesitation is pointing out that this man is is needing to be reconciled with God the Father. Um, And the best instrument to do that is to to get the Libra Cristo field manual, go through it, identify the impediments to grace and talk to a priest uh, about the interior movement that he's experiencing, uh, whatever he may be opposed to that he's reading, but it's going to, to focus on he, what he'll end up uh, focusing on is reordering the faculties of the human person, according to St. Thomas, reordering those faculties and his perception of the events. Um, I think that, his, his patron for this is going to be Mary Magdalene. When you look at, if you go to Monte Cristo, there's a talk about the three figures at the foot of the cross. Mary Magdalene is in pain. Pain is the acute response to um, what we're seeing or experiencing. And she's in pain. Sacred art shows her in travail on the ground. All of the accurate sacred art puts a halo on St. John and on the Blessed Mother, but not on Mary Magdalene. Because at that time, she's not acting saintly. She is uh, in great travail. And so much so is she traumatized in the short term. Now, she will deal with her trauma and die a saint, which is perfect. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to happen. But she's not perfected to the point that she's not experiencing trauma at the crucifixion. She's in travail. She's on the ground. Um, And so traumatic is that for her that she doesn't recognize Christ in his glorified form, because in her mind, she's still seeing Christ crucified, horribly disfigured, and this man is still seeing his wife in the throes of diabolical manifestation. He's not seeing her resurrected. He's not seeing her post-deliverance. He's not seeing her uh, as Mary Magdalene should have seen the resurrected Christ. So much so does Mary Magdalene not recognize him he has to speak to her and say, um, don't you recognize me? I'm not the gardener. I'm, I'm the Christ. Um, and so that's a good example of, of that, that transition, that journey. And once 
once her eyes are opened, then she sees the recognized Christ. I mean, the resurrected Christ. Yeah, uh, and, and just on a practical level for anybody listening to the show, uh, the couple should go through phase two because a lot of people bypass it. They just went from, uh, you know, an interview all the way to the solemn rite in many, in many places, like in this case. Uh, and the person was delivered after many, many sessions, but uh, they didn't they didn't clean up. They, they didn't they didn't pull the weeds, so to speak, because that's what phase two is. It's basically pulling the weeds that that have been growing around your interior life. Correct, Kyle? That's a good way to put it. We call it identifying the impediments to grace uh, or the blockages to grace. But the weeds, that's an, another good way to do it. Um, but it's, it's to address those things. Um, and, and you have to do it. it. It's hard work. It's really hard work because the intimacy in the marriage is going to spiritual intimacy as well as physical intimacy is going to be restored through this shared uh, path, this shared process. Give me, uh, we got about a minute. Give me a good, uh, simple definition of a contested possession for the audience. Contested possession. That's basically women. They say, not me. <laughs> get this out of it. Get, get out of here. And they'll do anything it takes to get healed, right? So a, a, an example of a contested possession is when the witch uh, has a moment of conversion. She has a prick of conscience and she has to go through now returning to God. So it's it's not just confession. It's she has to get rid of all of those relationships. She has to get rid of all the physical things, the material things. And now it's a contested possession. She wants away from this demon, but he's not going to let her go quietly. Um, there's going to be a fight. There's going to be abuse uh, on his part. There's going to be um, quite the struggle. And so that's a contested possession. An uncontested possession is look at uh, Hollywood, look at singers, look at, at performers, watch them degrade before your very eyes. Just watch them over a period of time. They become more and more cartoonish. They become more and more outlandish, uh, less and less rational. That's an uncontested possession. There's just a general degradation, but there's not a fight to be free. Got it. Thanks a lot, brother. God bless you. Keep the faith. And uh, you've been listening to Wednesday War College. Jess Romero, Kyle Clement. Uh, remember, if you like what you hear, then uh, send this show. You can share the full show link at vmpr.org. You can also find us on social media at VMPR Radio and the YouTube channel called Full Sheet Ahead. Share this program with your friends and, and evangelize everybody you love. Up next, Bishop Joseph Strickland, America's Bishop. <laughs> 